Now that's a parking spot. Introducing the I may have underestimated the size of my car policy with accident forgiveness from American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote. Find an agent. Visit AmFam.com. Optional policy features not included in base policies. Review policy for coverages and exclusions. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, SI, and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Good morning. Welcome to you. It's Eric Erickson here, The Eric Erickson Show. The phone number, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Glad to have you with me this morning. Today is kind of a special day. I So those of you who... Listen to this program. You've probably heard me mention I, I have an evening program. Uh, so my my morning program, I think we're now on 15. We're about to pick up a couple more stations. We'll be close to 20 stations here soon uh, across the state of Georgia, uh, literally from the North Georgia mountains to the Florida line, from the Chattahoochee to the Atlantic. You can hear this program. Uh, when I when I designed the program and, and started thinking about it, I thought, you know, I do want to one day have a national show. But this year, Georgia is a inarguably a swing state. It is a state that both sides are paying attention to, and increasingly there is no program outside of left-wing programming on public radio uh, that actually covers politics, and, and frankly covers it honestly and fairly. And so I wanted to do this. I wanted to have a place where uh, the governor, a senator, a, a congressman, a conservative, uh, the president, the vice president could come on and cover the entire state of Georgia on one program, nine to noon, uh, and hit every major market in the state. And we are pulling that off. Uh, but in the evening, I, I this show doesn't pay me anything. If you want to advertise, let us know. Uh, if you want to cover a statewide audience, uh, let us know because we could use the additional advertisers, frankly. Uh, I, I, I cover salaries, I cover satellite, I, I cover the cost of the show. I haven't earned income yet. I have wanted to take the money that we're, we're making and put it back into the program. And I do an evening show uh, from 4 to 6 p.m. in Atlanta on WSB. It's the nation's most listened to news talk station. Uh, I, depending on the, the, the week and the issue, uh, my, my evening show is, is – exceedingly well listened to put it that way they don't they don't like me discuss ratings but um a lot of people listen and it pays the bills and and i i earn income from them and they have been very good to me and that station once a year turns off their programming and commits to doing something that is a very good cause I want to raise awareness with you guys about the cause and see if you might participate because every single one of you listening right now can benefit, uh, should benefit, probably no people who have benefited. In Atlanta, there is a place called the Aflac uh, Cancer and Blood Disorder Center. It is with Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. It is the largest such facility in the Southeast United States. If you are listening anywhere in Georgia, if you are listening in Southern uh, Tennessee or North Carolina or Western South Carolina or Eastern Alabama, your children more likely than not uh, could come there, well, would come there, would be referred there ultimately. They field uh, patients from all over the Southeast. And they do a lot of innovative things and those innovative things depend on money from donors uh, because insurance doesn't cover them. So for example, uh, I, I, I want to talk about Albany, Georgia. 
Albany, Georgia is in southwest Georgia, very hard hit by COVID-19. And last year I interviewed, actually my daughter, they, they allowed my daughter, then 13, uh, to interview another 13-year-old whose family has to drive to Atlanta for her cancer treatments uh, because her cancer is rare, it is treatable, uh, but there is not a, a facility in Albany that can handle and treat and give her the care that she needs. And so the family has to drive to Atlanta. And because of generous donations from people who support the Aflac uh, Cancer and Blood Disorder Center, the hospital's been able to set up rooms in the hospital where families can stay, almost like mini hotels. In fact, they've designed it in such a way that they can open a closet door and reach in and, and place food or extract food in dirty clothes. They can help the family do laundry. Uh, they can do a whole lot of stuff. They have a game room where the kids can go and play PlayStation or Xbox to distract themselves while they're getting their cancer treatments. Uh, the rooms are positioned so they can see the helipad at, at, the, the, um, at the hospital. They have, uh, Aflac has created and the, you know, the Aflac duck, they have Aflac duck stuffed animals that the kids get. And if the kids are not feeling well and they don't want to talk, they can change the duck's features so that they can signal to everyone around them. They don't feel good. They don't have to engage if they don't want to. They can let the duck do it. Um, it all, all sorts of emotional things that they can do for the kids, all sorts of things they can do for the parents and their well-being. And insurance does not pay for that. Uh, the federal government does not pay for that. Uh, state government allowances do not pay for that. That requires the support of donors, and they have a donor base around the southeast. And uh, for two days every year, my, my radio station in Atlanta shuts down and just does a carathon. And today and tomorrow are those days. Now, I'm not going to turn this whole show into a carathon uh, for the Aflac Cancer and Blood Disorder Center at Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. But I want to put it on your radar because if you've heard the news today, there's a 33% decline in the American economy. Now, that is misstated to some degree. That is an annualized drop. Uh, it is a, a 9 point, I think 9.7, some such drop in the economy in the second quarter. It is the largest drop in American history. But, but this, this is important. Uh, consumer spending appears to be on the rebound. More importantly, uh, the average earning of the American public uh, appears to be okay. It's not great, but it's okay. Uh, so the reason I say this is that normally today I would be in a hospital. I would be interviewing kids. I would be trying to pull on your heartstrings to, to encourage people to give generously to the Aflac Children's uh, Blood Disorder and Cancer Center to fight childhood cancer. And we can't because we're in a global pandemic and money is tight all around for everyone. Uh, it is tight for me. It is tight for you. I have tried to be as generous as I possibly can. My family, we, we have continued paying our, our barbers and hairstylists when they couldn't work, um, paying for haircuts we would never get, uh, paying housekeepers who couldn't come to our house, uh, it, it, buying things from people uh, just to be able to make purchases for them. The, the amount of stuff I have spent that I may never use but knew that it would go to helping other people, we have tried where we can. And that, that's not to brag about me. That's to say I, I've, I've done what I can. I, I have tried to step up. And I'm, so I'm practicing what I preach here uh, when I ask you if you're willing to step up. Now, 
I, I have a bonus for you, and we may I may be complicating things for the folks uh, doing the Carathon. Because let me tell you something I do every year to try to help raise money for um, this Children's uh, Cancer Center in Atlanta. I have a bourbon collection. Uh, those of you who may have seen it on Instagram, I have a very massive bourbon collection. Uh, years ago when I was on radio, it was one of, one of the, the great mistakes I made was to announce I had discovered I like small batch uh, craft bourbons. And listeners literally started sending me bottles. I have well over 100 bottles of bourbon now. Uh, almost all of them individual and unique. Uh, very few of them the same. And so every year at uh, at my office in Atlanta, I invite couples to come, and I think it's $500 donation to the Cancer Center, and I allow them to drink through my bourbon collection. I provide barbecue, we eat, uh, give them a tour of my radio facility, and uh, then I walk them through the various bourbons uh, and hope that they have drivers to take them home. And if you want to, if you want to participate in that, I want to make it available to you as well. Uh, you have you, I, the date is to be determined. I, there, there's not a date set because of the pandemic, but it, it'll happen at some point. And I think it's a $500 donation uh, for a couple to be able to come do this. And uh, I've got a lot of the, the various bottles of Jefferson's and Basil Hayden, um, Noah's Mill. It just I, I've got a lot of different bourbons. And uh, some of them, you've never heard of them. Some of you have. I've had celebrities send me bottles of bourbon, um, and, and I bring them all to Atlanta and get everyone together and walk them through this with some good barbecue for, from a great place in Atlanta. Uh, I actually have a listener who has a barbecue shop who provides the uh, barbecue. Uh, 441 South up in Canton, if you've never been there, fantastic barbecue. And so I want to make this available to you, and it, I, 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 I want you to understand it is for a good cause. If you have a child, anywhere you're listening, if you're listening in Rome or Clarksville or Dalton or Jasper or Brunswick or Savannah or Statesboro or Douglas or or Vienna or Unadilla or Albany or Adel or Valdosta um, or, or uh, Quitman or Athens or Greensboro or Milledgeville or Macon, Columbus, Carrollton, where, wherever you are listening to me right now on one of our radio stations, Triton, Triton is, is our newest station. Uh, wherever you are, you can participate. Uh, and wherever you are, a child in your community has been served by uh, the, the cancer, Children's Cancer Center in Atlanta. I guarantee you, every single county, in fact, this is one of the great statistics, every single county in Georgia has a child currently living who has been treated by the AFLAC um, Blood Disorder and Cancer Center at Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. Because every community uh, has the potential to have uh, be impacted by childhood cancers. Every child has the um, potential, unfortunately, to be impacted. And this facility helps everyone. And, and again, I, I'm not spending the whole time on the show, but I want to start the show this way and tell you it is for a good cause. And, and if, if you can donate, whatever you can donate, I want you to donate. I, I want to tell you how to donate. I want to give you a phone number. Uh, you can call this number. If you want to do the the bourbon and butts, uh, tell them uh, you're listening to me on radio on my morning show right now, and I said you could do it. 
you're going to have to tell them because they're not expecting me to announce this until after four today. Um, but you guys are with me right now, and I want to do it for you right now. So uh, if you want to participate, if, if you want to come drink my bourbon and, and eat barbecue with me in Atlanta at a point time to be determined uh, for $500 to fight childhood cancer, I want you to be able to do that as well. You just got to tell them it's I'm on my morning show telling you to call in and do it, and they'll they'll let you do it. Uh, but you got to call a specific number and you got to be willing to donate. And and, and before I give you the number, get, get your pen and paper ready if you can. I, I, I want to tell you this. Increasingly in this country, one of the downsides of this country is that we all depend on the government to do stuff. And it doesn't matter whether you're on the left, the right, or the center. You decide it's not my problem. It's the government's problem. I don't need to help. The government will help. I don't need to do this. The government will do this. I don't need to pay. The government will pay. There are things the government will not pay for. There there are there are situations the, the government's not going to pay to renovate hospital rooms for children so their parents can stay in the room with them and shower and have fresh meals and laundry. The government is not going to pay for game rooms for kids who are getting their chemotherapy and just want to be distracted by a video game while it's going into their veins. The government is not going to pay for animatronic ducks that the kids can hold when they're feeling bad and show people that they feel bad by holding the duck as opposed to having to tell them when all they want to do is throw up because they're getting chemotherapy. The government's not going to pay for any of that. That's going to be on you. It's going to be on me. And while all of this is going on, there are researchers behind the scenes trying to figure out how to not just fight it, but in childhood cancer. And every dollar that is contributed goes towards that cause. And when I first started uh, my radio show in 2011, I was kind of thrust into this. And the first year I couldn't do it. And and I did it for several years thereafter. And I, I just, I never really got it. It was just something the station did. Then of course my family was impacted by cancer uh, with my wife. Uh, We know, um, multiple people who have had children who have benefited from this hospital now. Uh, we, we know several people whose children have died of cancer. And it has become an emotional thing for me uh, to be able to, to step up and participate. I'm, I'm doing a number of things now uh, for them, uh, the bourbon and butts. Uh, for a couple of couples, I'm going to make, make a pot of gumbo. Um, for one couple, I'm going to take them out to dinner at a restaurant in Atlanta. Uh, it, just to be able to to impact and raise as much money as possible to fight a menace uh, that affects so many communities. And if you can do it, if you can step up, if you're willing to help, I I want you to do it. Um, It's just, it's a worthy cause. It is a, it's a cause that transcends politics and partisanship. It's a cause that transcends your values and mine. And it's a cause that without donations, can't be done. The government is not coming to help in this area. It's on you and me to help. So I, I want to give you the number and you can call if you're willing and, and we'll move on from here to the headlines of the day. The number is 888-750-2772. That number is 888-750-2772. You can call them and tell them you want to donate but you want the bourbon and butts package. And when they say we're not giving that away yet, you say Eric's on his morning show talking about it right now and said I could get it. And yes, you can. Uh, and yes, I want you to. And even if you can't, if you can only give $5, if you can only give $10, if you can only give $20, please consider it. 
there is someone in your community right now who has a child who either has benefited from or will benefit from uh, the Children's Cancer Center in Atlanta. Uh, And it doesn't matter where you're listening to me, if you're listening to the Southeast, Florida, Alabama, South Carolina, North Carolina, or Tennessee, there are kids who benefit from the center on a daily basis. There are parents who drive five hours to get their kids treatment. And I hope you'll consider being a part of helping those families and helping in childhood cancer. All right. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here. Uh, The phone number, if you want to call the program, is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I'll, at the top of every hour, remind people about the uh, Cancer Center. Uh, If you want to donate, though, if if you want to donate, I realize I'm giving you a bunch of numbers at one time. I apologize. Uh, It is 888-750-2772. Uh, and, and very seriously, it is the the Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. I realize, uh, but every county in the state has a child right now in treatment uh, there, and you benefit uh, statewide. You benefit from this hospital and this uh, cancer and blood disorder center. So please consider uh, donating generously to them if you can. Uh, I want to move on to headlines, as you probably have heard by now. Louis Gomert, the congressman from Texas. Uh, has COVID-19. Uh, he te- he had it, interestingly enough, while he was at the hearing, he refused to wear a mask at the uh, William Barr hearing. In fact, he and William Barr were seen together talking without masks and, and uh, Gomert had no symptoms and didn't have his mask on and then went to the White House yesterday for the president's trip to Texas and he had to do an, an instant test. Uh, they have a 10-minute test for COVID-19. They've reserved that test uh, largely for first responders and, and high critical situations. And uh, he tested positive. And so he's had to go into quarantine. His staffers are leaking that in the office he refused to allow them to wear masks and made sure they were there every day. Some of them are upset and, and worried they could have gotten the virus. The, there are a couple of issues here, one of which is the leakers in his office, the, the whiny leakers that they need to be found. Uh, another issue here is, is, and pay attention to this one because the media is not going to cover this. The president of the United States is routinely being pilloried by members of the media for his ineffectual leadership. When it comes to the virus, the media is constantly slamming and slandering the president for what he did or did not do or what they misrepresent as he did or did not do regarding the virus. Nancy Pelosi did not make testing a protocol in the House of Representatives. Nancy Pelosi did not make masks mandatory in the House of Representatives. Nancy Pelosi did not do any of the things she could have done to keep Louis Gohmert from infecting everyone in the House of Representatives. She didn't do that. Now, to, to Gohmert, Gohmert says maybe he got uh, COVID-19 from his mask. That's like claiming you got an STD from your condom. Uh, it, it doesn't really work that way. While there is some evidence of bacterial growth in, in uh, unwashed masks, uh, there really isn't any evidence that you're going to suck COVID-19 through, um, that it lingers on your mask and you suck it through. It, it more often than not comes from being in contact with people. In fact, we know now, uh, if you recall the studies about the virus living on surfaces, it turns out that it was a 100 times more concentrated than in normal society, and that's why it lives on surfaces for so long. In regular contact and transmission rates, it doesn't actually last long in the wild. In fact, there's been all this horror story, these horror stories about uh, air conditioners recirculating the virus, and in fact, it appears uh, that as the virus makes its way through air conditioning systems, it degrades. 
It is in areas of poor ventilation and circulation where the virus spreads the most. Bars and nightclubs, uh, confined spaces. In fact, there are calls now for the governor to start shutting those places back down. We may get into that later. I, I just, I'm tired of talking about the virus. I want to talk about other stuff. Yesterday, there were big tech hearings on Capitol Hill. I want to talk about the tech hearings. Uh, Facebook, Google, Apple, Amazon were there. They talked about Twitter as well. And man, it's just having Congress inquire about the stuff. They're just dumb. All right. We need to talk about the, about the healthcare stuff. Um, not the healthcare stuff. I'm sorry. Um, I'm still thinking I got Children's Healthcare of Atlanta on my mind. Uh, we need to talk about the tech hearing. The big technology players went to the uh, House of Representatives yesterday. They, they did it via satellite by video, some of them unstable connections. You had uh, the heads of Google and Amazon, Apple and uh, Facebook there. And they were excoriated by members of Congress for a variety of reasons. Matt Gatz went on Fox News last night, the congressman from Florida. And I want to play you a bit of his audio real quick. Congress will not do anything on big tech because Congress is bought off by big tech. But we proved today that many of America's largest technology platforms are not acting in the best interest of our country. They've pulled out of deals as Google has with our own military to keep our service members safe. But then Google has no problem going and partnering with the Chinese military of all folks. Even General Dunford, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, said that Google is directly benefiting the Chinese military. But it's not just that they're working with China. They're trying to turn our country into China. Google in particular is the most dangerous election interference organization in the world. Sundar Pichai was at a meeting where his top executive team said that they had to stop Donald Trump in four years and make his victory just a populist blip in history. And since then, he admitted that individuals can go and alter search and change things on blacklists so you don't see sites that are conservative like the Federalist, The Daily Caller, Breitbart, and others that Mr. Jordan mentioned. And then uh, also you saw, you know, Mr. Pachai uh, have to confess the fact that uh, I really think there's an outcome that cannot be explained through these glitches where the conservative sites that we used to see in news are now starting to disappear. They want to control what you see so they can control what you think and how you act. And a free society must stand against this. I want to talk about Google for just a moment. And I need to disclose for you up front that uh, Google has sponsored my resurgent gathering, the last two that I had uh, in Austin, Texas, and in uh, Atlanta, Georgia, Google sponsored. Uh, now, in, in, just for perspective, Google was a significant sponsor the first time, and the second time they intended to be the lead sponsor and then disappeared on me and, and later uh, wrote a, a smaller check than what they had, had said they would do. Uh, I appreciate them for their support. Uh, I, I suspect they won't be coming back uh, in large part because of my criticisms of the company, uh, which may have had something to do with them promising money and then <laughs> giving less. Um, I want to I want to disclose that to you as, as a moment of candor and honesty uh, to, to so that you have that proper perspective for what I'm saying. I am concerned with Google more than I am most of the other technology companies uh, for the logic of Google's own employees. Follow the logic of Google's employees. 
they say that they need a diverse workforce to be able to shape the algorithm that Google employs to render web searches so that when Google searches the internet, it's not prioritizing the links and desires of white people who are, in the words of these left-wing activists who work for for Google, uh, cis-hetero people. Now, for purposes of this, I'm saying Google, but Alphabet is now the parent company of Google, but it's Google. So these employees of Google say that you need to have uh, gay, transgender, minority, Muslim, Buddhist, atheist voices helping design and shape the Google search engine algorithm so that uh, the stuff that uh, white Christian heterosexual males want to come up isn't the predominant thing. If they are to be taken at face value, they believe that their biases can shape how things are searched on Google and that their biases and preferences should be used to shape the search engine. That's them. That's their claim. These are also the same people who helped kill an artificial intelligence initiative within Google uh, because the female black head of the Heritage Foundation was placed on the board, K. Cole James. She was placed on the advisory board for this AI initiative, and Google employees revolted over having a conservative think tank president, never mind that she's black and female. They rejected this panel. Google employees have routinely criticized conservatives. They hate the president. They hate Christians. If Google employees believe that diversity is needed in order to shape the Google algorithm, but not political diversity or ideological diversity, just skin color diversity and sexual orientation diversity, uh, what you're going to have is a bunch of people who work with the algorithm to preclude conservatives from showing up. I have had a situation twice now in the last couple of weeks where I've gotten emails from people who have said, that uh, why isn't the resurgent, my website, showing up in Google search? And I've gone into Google search and I've just put in the resurgent, which should be on the first page. And it didn't work. In fact, I'm going to do it right now and see. Uh, And what comes up? It comes up as the number one hit. Last week, I tried it and it disappeared. wasn't there. Uh, Played no rule. You put in the resurgent today, it comes up on the first. Uh, But that's not just me. Uh, Newsbusters has had this problem. Uh, Breitbart.com has had this problem. The Federalist has had this problem. Anecdote is not data, but I would never have known because I never Google the resurgent. I only knew because a person emailed me and said, hey, why isn't it coming up? And when I searched it, 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 it didn't work. And so now I... Uh, shifted uh, to Twitter and asked if anyone else was having the problem. And some of them were, a lot of them weren't. And then the problem went away for everyone. What's going on there? There's been no explanation to any of the conservative groups that had this happen. Now, maybe it was a general thing at Google, but it sure was curious. Google controls the search engine uh, in this country. I mean, Google has become a verb. Google this. Instead of search this, 
It is Google this. And that's to their credit and their innovation, and they should be praised for that. Uh, but Google's motto is don't be evil, or at least it used to be, and they've abandoned that now. When they first got started, it was don't be evil, and, and that suggests that there were those who wanted to be evil. The problem with Google is they believe in the righteousness of their cause. And if you believe in the righteousness of your cause, uh, you don't believe it's evil, and you believe that it is perfectly acceptable to silence and, and shut down the voices of those you disagree with over politics. Google is dangerous. Google is willing to shape search to benefit a political persuasion. We know this based on the voices of those who work in Google who want to censor voices on the right. We know this from Google based on those who believe that uh, you can shape in a search algorithm for the internet based on um, issues related to diversity. And I think we should take these people at their word. We should take them at their word that they are deeply hostile to the right. We should take them at their word that they do not like voices on the right. We should take them at their word that they do want to block us, to ban us, to silence us. We do need to take them at their word that they need that they want to elevate uh, left-wing voices of diversity at the expense of anything on the right, at the expense of anything Christian. I, I don't see why we should not take them at their word. Here's Jim Jordan. There's definitely a double standard. They censor conservatives. Big tech attacks conservatives. We know that's there's no we feel that's the case. We think that's the case. That is the that is the case. Those are the facts. I mean, think about this. Twitter allowed a tweet from the leader of Iran, the largest state sponsor of terrorism. In the tweet, he talks about striking a blow against the United States. They allow that, but they censor Don Jr. They censor the president. I mean, this is crazy. So they're going to hear about that today in in in, in the hearing. Uh, about this double standard. I, I point out, there were four members of Congress shadow banned just two years ago. Yep. You think about it, 435 in the House, 100 in the right. Senate, 535, only four, Gates, Meadows, Nunes, Jordan, and mm. they said it was just a glitch. I said, what'd you put in the algorithm? The name's Gates, Meadows, Nunes, right. Jordan. It's not a glitch. If I, had a, if I had a nickel for every time they said the word glitch, we'd be, we'd be you know, we'd, we'd be have a dollar. Well Here's, the Here's the thing. There is real bias. Uh, but I also think we need to distinguish between the companies. I don't think you can compare Facebook and Twitter and, and say they're the same thing. And, and the reason I don't think you can is because Facebook, uh, by the way, full disclosure, Facebook, like Google, has sponsored my conferences in the past. Facebook has been willing to allow conservative content in ways Twitter, for example, has not. Look at the hostility of the media towards Facebook in a way they don't towards Twitter. And the only difference between the two is that Facebook is more tolerant of right-wing content. Uh, I think his name is Kevin Ro Kevin Rouse. Kevin Rose, uh, he's a uh, New York Times technology reporter on a daily basis. He tweets out the top content on Facebook, and he does it intentionally to show that uh, Facebook leans conservative. It is inevitably Ben Shapiro and, and Donald Trump who are in the top five of content that is being engaged with in Facebook. And then the other reporters out there, the tech reporters, women of Rizzi, say, see, 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 Facebook is letting this stuff go on. I mean, when you listen to members of Congress yesterday upset with Facebook, they are upset with Facebook because Facebook allows conservative content to exist and thrive. 
This is really, really important. You, you, you really need to understand that a, a Facebook is not a, a, a company that is with conservatives, but it is also not a company that is hostile to conservatives in the way Twitter is. Twitter blocked Donald Trump Jr.'s Twitter feed because he dared to share a video of a doctor, the, 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 the demon sperm doctor, talking about treating patients with hydroxychloroquine. Facebook took down the video. Mark Zuckerberg explained why he took down the video. You may disagree with him. I thought he did a good job uh, explaining why they took that particular video down, but he didn't suspend the president's account. He didn't suspend Donald Trump Jr.'s account. They didn't punish conservatives or suspend accounts who were shutting down the video. They just took down the video. Twitter actually turned accounts off. Twitter is turning accounts off for anyone who suggests hydroxychloroquine might actually be useful. You know, it's very fascinating. The people who run Twitter believe that you can't come between a woman and her doctor's uh, decision to kill a child, but you should actively come between a woman and her doctor's decision to use hydroxychloroquine to fight COVID-19. Twitter is maliciously antagonistic towards conservatives. I, y'all, I, I genuinely, I hate, the, I hate the platform. You notice I didn't say that Twitter sponsored my conference. I didn't even want to ask them. I don't know whether they would say yes or no. I refuse to ask them. I think Twitter is a deeply malicious company, and I actually resent like hell that I've got to use Twitter as a platform because if you're on radio or you're publishing books, how many Twitter followers do you have to be able to circulate stuff? And, and I hate it. I feel like I'm locked into a platform that degrades society in the way that Twitter does. And it is increasingly hostile towards conservatives. But I think conservatives need to distinguish between them. I think we need to be willing to say, hey, you know what? Uh, Facebook isn't with us, but it's not hostile to us in the way Twitter is. And that's why the left hates Facebook so much is because Facebook isn't hostile to the right. Uh, The left would love Facebook tomorrow if they banned all conservatives. All of their complaints about Facebook, all of their privacy concerns, Everything would go away if they banned Donald Trump on Facebook. If they beat Twitter to banning Donald Trump, Mark Zuckerberg would be paraded through the streets on on the backs of tech reporters from the New York Times cheering him on for being an American hero. But he's not going to do that. And because, remember in 2008 and 2012, the, the left was praising Facebook. Entire journalistic careers were made by people writing articles and books about how Obama, Team Obama used Facebook to win the election. And Donald Trump's team read all those books, applied them, and won in 2016. And ever since, Facebook's been evil. They're, they're not necessarily our friends, but I think that conservatives have to do a really good job of distinguishing between Google and Twitter and Facebook and even Apple and Amazon. And I got thoughts on, on Apple and Amazon. We're at the hearing as well. Uh, I want to talk about those when we come back. Hello there, it is Eric Erickson here. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Let me talk about Apple and Amazon real quick. Um, I I am an Apple aficionado. I I love Apple. Um, I I will jokingly agree with my friends. I I am totally in the Apple cult. Um, Apple is a company that I think makes fantastic products. I have in front of me right now, I have two lap, Apple laptops. I just got a 16-inch lap, laptop yesterday, uh, and, and now i got to give my 15-inch my one to, to Philip, who's been who's doing so much video editing 
uh, for me now that his his old 50, 2015 MacBook is grinding to a halt uh, every time he does his, his battery lasts for like a minute. Uh, I've got uh, I've got my iPhone. I've got my Apple Watch. Uh, there's an iMac in the other room. Uh, I I am an Apple fan. Now, I love Apple. I th- I think they make good products. I also think that Apple is too indebted to China in its supply chain right now. And as much as Apple likes to be preachy on human rights, you will note that Apple is very quiet about slave labor in China and problems in China. And it is unfortunate that uh, congressmen are old and stupid and don't know how to ask appropriate questions in these hearings. It was very interesting, the divergence of opinion among members of Congress. All of them hate the tech companies, uh, but the people on the right hate the tech companies because they feel like they're discriminating against conservatives, and the people on the left hate the tech companies because they feel like they're not discriminating against conservatives uh, and, and that they have too much power. No one is really concerned about the human rights issues. Do you know of all of the tech companies out there, the only one that doesn't desire to do business with and does not engage with the Chinese is Facebook. Facebook does not operate in China and is winding down operations in Hong Kong because it does not want China to have access to servers and its user data. Apple uh, does massive amounts of business in China, and that's a huge problem. Uh, a, A company like Apple that prides itself on being able to speak with moral clarity on human rights issues can't do that when it comes to China. It's like the, the NBA of technology companies. They're, they're perfectly happy to, to profit off the uh, Chinese communists who run concentration camps while getting preachy in this country on human rights. You cannot believe, a, you cannot trust a company or treat it with credibility when it worries about the human rights issues in the United States and not about the human rights issues in the country that operates concentration camps wherein it's trying to make billions of dollars. Uh, that's just too much hypocrisy, and that's what Apple does. Google also is desperate to get into China and help them operate search. Twitter, of course, is not in China, uh, but allows Chinese communist propagandists on Twitter to tweet hatred towards the United States. It was very fascinating. They allowed Iran, Twitter did, they allowed the Iranian regime to come onto Twitter the other day and and, uh, call for violence against the United States, and then they shut down Donald Trump Jr.'s account for talking about hydroxychloroquine. The only one not doing that, again, is, is Facebook. Um, And and that should tell conservatives something about the platform, that it's not perfect, but let's not lump them all together. Apple is a company that makes brilliant products, but Apple is also one of the wokest companies in the world and can't seem to to speak up about uh, tyrannical abuse in China. Now, from what I hear behind the scenes, Apple is trying desperately to move a lot of its manufacturing out of China because it knows there's a problem. And it knows ultimately it's never going to be able to compete in China uh, because Chinese companies are going to steal its intellectual property. And that's a good thing if it moves out of China. Uh, But thus far, it's not. And there are questions about slave labor helping make iPhones. I think there should be some disclosures about that. Apple's got problems and they need to get out of China. Amazon is the other one with problems in China. You know, there are a lot of companies like Birkenstock, you know, the sandal company. Birkenstocks won't sell on Amazon anymore. If you buy Birkenstock sandals on Amazon, you're not actually buying Birkenstock. You are buying a counterfeiter from China. And Amazon does a terrible job of cracking down on those counterfeiters. Amazon does a genuinely terrible job 
of pro protecting brands that use Amazon. Uh, you have to search very, very carefully to make sure you're buying authentic products on Amazon these days in ways you used to not have to. And there's a very weird thing. You get on Amazon, for, for example, uh, like the other day, a buddy of mine, Andy, emailed me or, or texted me and said, hey, you make a lot of ice cream. What containers do you use? And I got on Amazon because I knew the, the containers that I use to store homemade ice cream. And I pulled them up, and there were about 10 competitors with really weird names. One of them, was, you can't even pronounce it. It was like B-D-I-T-H-Y-A. What, what, what is that? And these are Chinese counterfeiters selling product on Amazon. And, and people are getting ripped off. It's happening with technology. I use a lot of products by the company Rode, R-O-D-E. It's an Australian technology company that makes audio and video equipment. Got a mixer and microphones from Rode. And uh, if you get on Amazon and you want a Rode mixer, if you don't see that it's actually coming from Rode, it, it can be a knockoff counterfeit from China that looks just like the Rode equipment for half the price. And you get it and it's not very good. Amazon's got a problem and it needs to crack down on it. And it too isn't because it's making a profit. These sorts of things have to be dealt with. Unfortunately, Congress clearly is not the place to deal with them. Yesterday, clearly, I mean, you had one member of Congress who spent his entire time questioning uh, the, the CEOs of these companies, asking Google's CEO why his, his emails to his father were going in his father's spam folder. I wish I was making that up. I am not. These people shouldn't be asking these questions. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. The phone number, you want to be a part of the program, it is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Glad to have you with me here this morning. Before I begin anything else, I, I did this in the first hour. I just, I want to do it uh, at the beginning of each hour as, as stations uh, come in. And yeah, I want to talk real quick about the Children's Cancer Center in Atlanta. Uh, because it doesn't matter where you are in the state of Georgia, from the North Georgia Mountains to the Florida line, from the Chattahoochee to the Atlantic, uh, kids go get treatment for cancer at uh, Children's Healthcare of Atlanta at their uh, Children's Cancer Center. It is actually called the AFLAC uh, Blood Disorder and or Cancer and Blood Disorder Center. It is a research facility that is fighting to end childhood cancer. It is also a medical facility that provides help for kids. Uh, who are battling cancer. It is for children. And a lot of what they do is not paid for by uh, hospital profit, by government grant, by government funding, or by insurance claims. Uh, the money that helps them innovate and do the things they do is dependent on donors. And frankly, I don't know that they would want me to say this, um, but I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, a, a lot of their work gets overshadowed by St. Jude's, which is a marvelous facility in, in Memphis and has a uh, an international fundraising network. But the odds are more likely that your child is going to wind up at CHOA, uh, at Children's Healthcare of Atlanta, than at St. Jude if they have childhood cancer. And yet they don't have the, the marvelous fundraising base that St. Jude's does, which frankly isn't connected with Memphis, uh, while, while the Affleck Blood Disorder and Cancer Center is, is connected to Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. And so people think, oh, that's the Atlanta area. It's not really for me. Uh, we have 159 counties in the state of Georgia. Uh, there are children in each of those counties who have been or are currently uh, using uh, and seeking medical treatment with this cancer center in Atlanta.
One of the innovative things that this cancer center does, thanks to generous donations from people around the state of Georgia, is their hospital rooms are very much like hotel suites where your family does not have to stay in an outside hotel. Your parent can stay with you in their own bed in the room. Uh, They have a shower. There are special doors that allow uh, access uh, to put meals in the room and take meals out, to take laundry out and put clean clothes and towels in uh, without ever having entered the room. It's actually very impressive the way they've done it uh, so that parents and kids can rest. They have uh, Affleck, for example, you know, the Affleck duck has donated uh, the ducks for these kids, not real ducks, stuffed uh, animal ducks that are slightly animatronic. And the kids, when they're on chemo and they don't feel like talking, they can use the duck to signal their mood through um, they they can change the duck's face. They can put little symbols on the duck. Uh, They can use the animatronics of the duck to tell people they just don't feel good. They don't want to talk. They don't want to eat. They just want to be left alone. Uh, when your kid is going through chemotherapy, much like you may be going through chemotherapy, they feel it. And so I want to urge you, if you would, to consider donating to uh, the Children's Cancer Center in Atlanta because you or someone you know uh, may have a child who might need their services. And the the benefits of their service are overwhelming They are researching to end childhood cancer. So the dollars contributed are not just going to improve the the wellness of the kids who are being treated, but also to fund the research to end childhood cancer altogether. Now, I want to add something to this. Uh, Every year, so I have a, a very large bourbon collection. It is, it's, it's actually significant. Uh, you, You go to some of the, greatest bourbon restaurants in the country and my collection may just be bigger than most of them. And I I don't say that boastfully, that's just the reality. And every year I pick out select bottles and I go to Atlanta to my office up there and I invite people who have donated $500 to come uh, have barbecue with me that is provided by a local listener who lives in Canton uh, who owns a, a barbecue restaurant and drink my bur- from my bourbon collection. Uh, it is called Bourbon and Butts, and I want to make it available to you. Now, I'm not supposed to open the door on it until 4 o'clock tonight, uh, but I'm going to do it for you guys if you want to donate to the Affleck Children's Cancer Center. Uh, you, there's a special phone number you have to call separate from this phone number for the show. And what you do is you call them and say, I'm on my morning radio show telling you guys that you too can benefit from Bourbon and Butts. And that, that's what you want. If you want it, it's, it's a $500 donation, though. But even if you can only donate $5, if you can donate $10, if you can donate $20, every single penny that you donate goes to fight childhood cancer and provide comfort for families whose children have cancer. And, and I really, really, really hope that you will consider doing it. Uh, the number that you have to do- call is 888-750-2772. and you will be fighting every dollar you give will be uh, in the fight to end childhood cancer. And I I genuinely, truly, genuinely hope that you will help uh, in childhood cancer. Um, You do this, whether you you want to do bourbon and butts or not, 
I, I hope you will consider making a donation to to do this because uh, I'm in Macon. I know people who have to take their kids up there for help. Um, I know people in Albany and Valdosta who have kids who uh, have to, they drive up there every couple of weeks for treatment. Uh, I know kids in Savannah who have done this and it's, it is a worthy cause and I hope you'll consider it. 888-750-2772 is the phone number. Now I want to move on to other stuff there. There is a horrific story about the NBA in China. ESPN of all things, uh, which is is running the story, even though it has a, a bit of a stake in in helping the NBA with this stuff, uh, it is it's an amazing story. And I want to read you a part of this story and commend ESPN for daring to run this story. Long before an October tweet in support of Hong Kong protesters spotlighted the NBA's complicated relationship with China, the league faced complaints from its own employees over human rights concerns inside an NBA youth development program in that country, an ESPN investigation has found. American coaches at three NBA training academies in China told league officials their Chinese partners were physically abusing young players and failing to provide schooling, even though Commissioner Adam Silver had said that education would be central to the program, according to multiple sources with direct knowledge of the complaints. The NBA ran into myriad problems by opening one of the academies in Xinjiang, a police state in western China, where more than a million Uyghur Muslims are now held in barbed wire camps. American coaches were frequently harassed and surveilled in Xinjiang, the uh, sources said. One American coach was detained three times without cause. He and others were unable to obtain housing because of their status as foreigners. A former league employee compared the atmosphere when he worked in Xinjiang to World War II Germany. In an interview with ESPN about its findings, NBA Deputy Commissioner and Chief Operating Officer Mark Tatum, who oversees international programs, said the NBA is reevaluating and considering other opportunities for the academy program, which operates out of sports facilities run by the Chinese government. Last year, the league acknowledged for the first time it had closed the Xinjiang Academy, which, when pressed, Tatum declined to say whether human rights were a factor. We were somewhat humbled, Tatum said, of the academy project in China. One of the lessons that we've learned here is that we do need to have more direct oversight and the ability to make staffing changes when appropriate. In October, Houston Rockets general manager Daryl Morey's tweet in support of pro-democracy protesters led the Chinese government to pull the NBA from state television, costing the league hundreds of millions of dollars. The controversy continues to reverberate as the NBA prepares to resume play this week after a a four-and-a-half-month hiatus because of the coronavirus pandemic. China Central TV recently said it still won't air NBA games, and U.S. lawmakers have raised questions about the league's business ties to China. The ESPN investigation, which began after Maury's tweet, sheds new light on the lucrative NBA-China relationship and the cost of doing business with a government that suppresses free expression and is accused of cultural genocide. It illustrates the challenges of operating in a society with markedly different approaches to issues such as discipline, education, and security. The reporting is based on interviews with several former NBA employees with direct knowledge of the league's activities in China, particularly its player development program. So this began um, several years ago. They wanted to find the next big Chinese NBA star. What was it? Yao Ming, who who was the big star out of China. They wanted to find the next one. And it turns out that these academies were deeply abusive places where people would send their kids. Or better yet, where the government 
would send people's kids, whether they wanted to or not. Uh, the, the kids were not educated. They were not treated well. They were abused. Uh, they could be starved. They could be punished for not playing. Just horrific human rights abuses at these places. And the NBA appears to have turned a blind eye to it all until pressure was brought to bear and they had to shut it down. At least two coaches left their positions in response to what they believe was mistreatment of uh, young players. And yet the NBA kept it going. Increasingly, we are seeing American corporations, groups like the NBA and others, that are willing to uh, turn a blind eye towards human rights abuses in order to make money. I tread carefully when I say this, but I think I'm going to say it. Yeah, I want to say it. The left says that American historic American businesses and this country profited off slavery. That in part reparations are owed because this country would not be where it is today but for the free labor provided by slaves over time. And after slavery, the poor treatment and near servitude of black Americans who continue to work as sharecroppers and in other jobs that benefited white people. We know in World War II, many corporations got rich off the excesses of the Nazi regime while turning a blind eye to the excesses of the Nazi regime until war started. And then German corporations fell in with the Nazis. How is this different? Now, I think you can't make a reparations argument based on the sins of the forefathers in this country. I, I just, I don't think you can. I am vehemently opposed to reparations, but, but that is an argument the left uses. And why is the left turning a blind eye to this sort of stuff with the NBA? The NBA profits off genocidal extermination in China. The NBA is required to keep its mouth shut and keep shut the mouths of its players to continue to get those profits. They become explicit in the propaganda campaign of the communist Chinese to deny the extermination of an entire race of people. How is there not national outrage over what the NBA is doing? How is it the NBA gets a pass? What I find just so interesting is that there are many, many, many people out there who demand now, you know, it's, it's, it's actually offensive to some now if you don't take a knee for the national anthem in baseball, in football and the like. It, it, it's offensive if you don't do it. Time and time again, the left demands that cultural, social, left-wing values be embraced by sporting events and sporting activities and sporting groups and, and, and teams and athletes. And yet they give the NBA a pass. The NBA 
comes off as sufficiently woke in favor of uh, racial justice and, and, and the like that they give the NBA a pass on collaborating with a country that runs concentration camps. There's a level of hypocrisy in all of this, is there not? The left wants the NBA to speak up on wokeness in this country and couldn't care less that they collaborate with a Chinese communist regime engaged in the extermination of an entire race of people. There's a level of hypocrisy in that. And it needs to be pointed out. The people who say American companies owe money for the historic legacy of profiting from slavery are perfectly happy to allow the NBA to reap the profits of genocide in China without ever calling them out or demanding they take action. And that's really, really telling, frankly. The phone number here is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I'm trying, I've, I've got to talk about the virus because it is it is a story. I'm trying to not talk about it as much, frankly, because I'm tired of talking about it. But I need to make note of something and I, I, I need to... Um, I, I, um, oh, oh, uh-oh, um, I can't, hmm, Ellen Carmichael, who is, uh, a political consultant who worked for Herman Cain, on his 2012 presidential campaign uh, is announcing that he has uh, passed away uh, from COVID-19. That's breaking news here. And y'all, I'm not, this is not confirmed other than through Ellen. Um... And I, I'm, yeah, nope, it's it's confirmed, folks. Uh, Herman Cain has died of the coronavirus, uh, age 74, a Republican presidential candidate in 2012. Herman Cain uh, ran, his platform very famously was the 999 uh, tax reform plan. He had been a Fox News contributor and a Newsmax contributor. Newsmax is confirming his death. Uh, he was admitted to the hospital on July 1st, two days after being uh, diagnosed with COVID-19. Uh, Ten days prior, he had been at the rally for the president. Um, they, they don't know where he got the virus. And... Um, Herman Cain has now passed away. Um, He was the president of Godfather's Pizza. He rose through the ranks. Uh, He joined Coca-Cola. He worked for Pillsbury. He was a regional vice president for Burger King, which at the time Pillsbury owned. 
And then uh, he took over Godfather's Pizza, turned it around, made it a profitable company. And his big issue was marketing. He became the chairman of the Federal Reserve Bank of Kansas City in 1995. Uh, he was in the position for 20 months in 19 in 2009. You'll recall the president renominated him for the Federal Reserve Board. Uh, he ultimately withdrew his nomination. Uh, he dabbled in politics in 1996. He was an advisor to the Bob Dole, uh, Jack Kemp campaign for president. Uh, he ran for the Senate in 2004. He was defeated in the primary by Johnny Isaacs, and I actually campaigned for him in 2004. Uh, he beat colon cancer. It was stage four in 2006. He was diagnosed with it. Uh, and then from 2008 to 2011, of course, he had the Herman Cain show in Atlanta on WSB. I was actually hired in 2011 to replace Herman on WSB uh, because Herman had decided he was going to run for president. And um, he had been in the line to replace Neil Bortz. They needed somebody to replace Herman as a result, so they hired me. Herman went off and ran for president. Uh, he, at one point, was the front runner for the Republican presidential nomination. And then he, um, he ultimately lost the nomination and came back to radio. Uh, has, has wound down his career over time. Uh, and Herman Cain now, uh, dead. Uh, he was a good man. 74 years old, um, affected by coronavirus. Um, prayers for his family and for, for those who knew and loved and worked with Herman Cain. God bless them. Hello, it is Eric Erickson here. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. It is 10.35 a.m. July 30th, 2020. Uh, Herman Cain has passed away from COVID-19 at age 74. Uh, the business czar, presidential candidate, and radio show host uh, contracted the virus uh, sometime at the end of June and entered the hospital on July 1st uh, and was never able to leave. Um, he has died of the coronavirus. Uh, prayers for him and his family. Um my goodness. Um, we must go on with the news and the show of the day. I, I lo Let me talk about Georgia polling. Uh, this, this news kind of throws me off my game here, uh, but I, I do want to spend some time talking about polling in the state of Georgia. The uh, Monmouth University has come out uh, with polling in Georgia and it is consistent with all of the other polls out there. Now, I am somewhat skeptical of the polls, mind you. But and you should be skeptical as well. But we should also note that, uh, like, for example, I interviewed Stephen Miller yesterday and even Stephen Miller is citing polling data. Um, it, it It's it's. It's becoming a thing where everyone cites the polls, but it is also a, uh, we all dismiss the polls. There's actually data there that I think suggests we should take some of it seriously. Uh, in particular, we need to pay attention to the trend lines. The trend lines are a little bit scary for the president. And, and I, I need to... Um, I need to put this in perspective for you because uh, Nate Cohen of the New York Times has has noted this that 
they've gone through and researchers have gone back and polled the people. Now, now you need to pay attention to this one, please. This is really important. They went back to their archive of 2016 voters. And, you know, there's a prevailing theory that Donald Trump voters, and it's one I subscribe to as well, you should know, that there are a lot of Donald Trump voters who aren't willing to admit to pollsters that they're Donald Trump voters. So what the pollsters, interestingly enough, did is they went back to 2016's voter files of all the people who told the pollsters that they would support Donald Trump. And and the theory being that if you were willing to go on the record in 2016 that you were supporting the president, then in 2020, if, if you were willing to do it in 2016, you should be willing to double down with the incumbent Donald Trump and say you're going to vote for him now. And... So they went back and they polled all those people and they polled a few thousand uh, Donald Trump voters, which statistically gives you a pretty good sample with a very low margin of error. You're you're polling several thousand people who in 2016 were consistently willing to tell you they supported Donald Trump. And now you've gone back to them in 2020 to poll them again to see if they're going to re-vote for the guy they said they, they were brave enough to say they'd vote for in 2016 and only 86% of them were willing to say that. Only 86% were willing to say that. That's not a good number for the president, and that explains why the president has been focusing on places like Georgia and Texas and, and elsewhere in Pennsylvania. He's got to hold his base. In fact, the president went to Texas, and he's got a compelling message to a degree uh, contrasted with the vice president. The problem is that the president should not have to campaign in a place like Texas. We're also taking jobs and factories away from countries with poor environmental standards such as China and bringing jobs back to America where they belong. Before the invisible enemy struck our shores, we created 800,000 new energy jobs, a third of them in Texas. I mean, the reality is just that the president shouldn't have to go to Texas and campaign. But I, I do. I got to I got to play the soundbite of the president going to Texas, talking about the Green New Deal. They're asking for things just so you understand that are impossible. I don't know. I haven't checked recently. What have they done with cows? Remember, there were going to be no more cows and no more cattle. I think they might have left that one off the manifesto, but it'll be back. Their platform calls for mandating zero carbon emissions from power plants by 2035. In other words, no drilling, no fracking, no coal, no shale, no gas, no oil. Otherwise, they've been very good to the industry, I think. You got to be careful, you know. People don't take it seriously. If they got in, you will have no more energy coming out of the great state of Texas, out of New Mexico, out of anywhere. Oklahoma, North Dakota, name them. Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania does a lot. People don't realize that a lot. It would throw Pennsylvania, Ohio, so many other places. You don't realize how big it is. They want to have no fracking, no nothing. The policies required to implement this extreme agenda would mean the death of American prosperity and the end of the American middle class. It would mean, I think, even worse than that. It would destroy our country. 
I used to say would become another Venezuela. Same ideology, you would become another Venezuela. Venezuela used to be one of the richest in the world per capita, and period, one of the richest in the world among the largest oil reserves. Now they don't have water. They don't have medicine. They don't have food. They got a lot of oil. It doesn't matter. It doesn't seem to matter. They don't have anything. And that can happen to us. It could. And these are all great messages for the president. They're actually very good messages for the president. And frankly, they they test very well. And just just bear with me here. Let let, let me follow this out uh, because this gets to the polling in Georgia. Uh, these messages that the president has are, are great messages. The law and order message. I talked to Stephen Miller yesterday from the White House. He, I've known Stephen for years. He's one of the most maligned people in Washington, D.C. It, it, it's, it's unfortunate. He's a very good guy. And the media wants you to believe he's some sort of white supremacist. He's not. He just he cares about law and order. He cares about legal immigration. Uh, he cares about things like that. And uh, Stephen Miller has noted in the polling that they're making inroads with Hispanic voters largely on the law and order issue. They are making, uh, they are, with Stephen Miller, they're Hispanic voters, immigrants who fled uh, socialistic uh, regimes, uh, criminal regimes in South America and Central America and came to this country, don't want this country to become like the countries they fled. They are very law and order. You know, the longer a Hispanic family stays in this country, the more they identify as Republican. And it's an advantage, a latent advantage the Republicans have if they choose to capitalize on it. Uh, The law and order issue works well. The economic issue works well. Uh, The American public overwhelmingly trusts the president to be the one to be firm on the economic issues, the one they want to lead an economic rebound. It's, It's absolutely right. Law and order works for the president. The economy works for the president, but there's a problem. Nobody cares about those issues right now. Now, wait, 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 wait. Nobody cares about those issues. I care about those issues. I can hear you. I can hear you. I know you care about the issue. Anecdote is not data. You may care passionately about those issues and think that the coronavirus is a is just a a fraudulent scam to embarrass the president. That, uh, and you're, you're entitled to your view. But overwhelmingly, Americans do care about the virus. You are in the minority. You know, I, I, I say this all the time, know when you're in the minority, even when you think you're right. And, and you need to know when you're in the minority, even if you think you're right on this issue. Uh, the reality is Americans are concerned greatly about the coronavirus. They are concerned incredibly uh, about uh, the the ability of the president to resume economic function in this country when they are afraid to leave their house. You have studies like Herman Cain uh, dying of coronavirus. It hits home for a lot of people who may not have otherwise thought it was a serious illness. And people are worried they can't get their kids back to school. They're worried their schools won't reopen. They're worried they can't go back to life as normal. They're worried they can't go back to their jobs. And so there's no economy for them to go to to put the president in charge of. So uh, all of this is to say, if the president can get a handle on the virus, uh, 
then the president has a compelling message. There is actually some data out there. I'm fascinated in the data. Uh, There is data out there that the virus may be nationally on the decline. There is some data out there that for whatever reason, and you know, there's a Stanford uh, biophysicist who has pointed this out uh, in viral behavior patterns with this virus, that when it impacts about 20% of the population, it begins to recede and, and no one quite understands why. There's a, there's a theory. Let, let me, let me just, just delve into this with you for just a moment. I need to say up front, I don't endorse this, but I need to explain it to you. And I, I, you need to hear, I'm not endorsing, I'm explaining. I don't know enough to know whether I agree with it or not, and, and I lean towards uh, not, but but I, I need to explain it to you because it, there's a, a biophysicist at Stanford University. He was one of the people who thought we were overplaying our hand on the virus, and, and he has a theory that uh, with this virus, when it hits about 20% of a population, it begins naturally to recede, and we don't know why. If, if, if you take... In theory, in theory, all of us are part of a a global ecosystem from the microbe to the person. We are all part of a collaborative, interactive, thriving, living thing. We are all part of this living creature, if you will. And when a virus, this virus in particular, hits 20% of a population, it seems like it begins to decline. And we're seeing this uh, across the board. You know, it is actually interesting. We're seeing the virus begin to decline in places like Arizona and Florida and Texas and Georgia and South Carolina and Nevada uh, for reasons unexplained. In, In some of these places, masks were mandatory and some of them masks were not mandatory. In some of them, social distancing was strictly enforced, and some of them it wasn't. Some of them were hotter than others that were cooler. There there are vast differences between these places, and yet the virus appears to be declining. What can cause it? If it's not the masks, if it's not the social distancing, what is causing the viral decline? And, and one of the theories that some people hold to that I suspect you're going to start hearing a lot of, of is that at some point the virus hits about 20% of the population, it naturally begins to decline, and it naturally begins to decline for a number of reasons, one of which is we are all one living entity together, and as, as a result of the virus, the rest of this living entity that is the global ecosystem begins to change. Some of us stay home. Some of us wash our hands more. Some of us do wear masks. Some of us change our behaviors, and, and it is all enough interconnectedly that the virus begins to decline. It's not just that the virus burns itself out is that we are all as a global ecosystem, a living organism collectively, and and that all shapes us. That that is a theory that's out there. And I'm doing a bad job of explaining it, but you need to understand it because it is actually very interesting to see the cresting of the virus and then the decline in populations at, at a point, and it seems consistently around the world, it gets to around that point, and then it starts to decline again. And, and is it people changing their behaviors, lifestyle changes, hygiene standards, government mandates, or is it the virus? We don't know. But you're going to hear a lot about it, and, and stuff like that is, seems to be happening. And uh, so so I wanted to explain it to you, and it does actually look like in Georgia and Arizona and Florida and Texas and now even South Carolina, 
the virus is beginning to recede in places where it has not spread so wild. It seems to be picking up steam. And in fact, in some parts of the world, then the president is right on this, in some parts of the world where the virus had declined due to shelter in place and, and government shutdown orders, uh, where it had not spread thoroughly in populations, it is now spreading. Now, we're, we're not at uh, herd immunity, so to speak, which most scientists think would be 70 or 80 percent and would probably overwhelm hospitals to get there. But it does seem with this particular virus that around 20 percent of population spread, something starts to happen. Nobody understands it. There are fringe theorists out there. There are some noted Nobel Prize winning academics who are advancing theories on it. No one seems to understand. I suspect we're going to hear a lot of this. And in particular, I suspect we're going to hear it mostly from the people who think we got it all wrong with shutdowns and mask mandates. Uh, we should have just let it burn through. And, and I don't think we could, given how overwhelmed hospitals are. I mean, just look in Georgia right now at, at how many hospitals are in the 12 county area around Athens, Clark County. There literally are no hospitals. Uh, hospital beds available in ICUs. Uh, there are regular hospital beds, but no ICU space. In South Georgia, the same thing. Uh, hospital resources are getting taxed. But the good news is the virus is now starting to decline in Georgia. The rate of transmission in Georgia is now below one. If you go to the website rt.live, you'll see it's like at 0.98, which is good. Not as good as it had been earlier, like two months ago, it was at 0.8, but it's headed in the right direction. There's good news out there. The virus is beginning to decline again, just in time for schools to reopen. Uh, but you need to understand some of the alternative theories that are starting to crop out there that maybe this virus, it just hits a, a, a certain number of people in communities and then it starts to go away. And if that holds up, it would kind of explain why that ship where so many people got the virus, it didn't spread widespread through the ship. Uh, through, through the, the ship. It spread through a, a segment of the population of the ship. And then just kind of disappeared. There's still so much we don't know about this virus, but that's also why so many governments and scientists are so cautious about engaging with it and engaging with what we know and don't know about it. And all of us should be careful in that regard. Well, people who are over six feet tall are more than twice as likely to get diagnosed with coronavirus. The results of a new survey reveals it's a global team of researchers, including experts from the University of Manchester and Open University. They surveyed 2,000 people in the country as well as the U.S. That's in, in Great Britain and here to determine whether their personal attributes, work, and living practices might play a role in transmission. The results found that taller people are at a higher risk, which researchers say suggests the contagion is spreading through the air because height would not be a factor if the virus was only contractible through droplets. The results of the survey in terms of associations between height and diagnosis suggest downward droplet transmission is not the only transmission mechanism. An aerosol transmission is possible. This has been suggested by other studies, but their method confirms it through social, though social distancing is still important because transmission by droplets is still likely to occur. It does suggest that mask wearing may be just as, if not more effective in prevention, but also air purification in interior spaces should be further explored. There you have it. Um, so, so Philip, who works with me, he is is very blessed. Uh, looks like he'll he'll be fine. Uh, I'll be mostly fine because I'm just under six feet. Charlie, well, man, uh, well, I, I'm I'm sure I can find a new producer somewhere. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, mean. He's gonna quit on me now. Um, but, uh, yeah, the taller you are, because now they say why, because it floats in the air 
and uh, can be elevated in currents as as water vapor droplets and inhaled. Um, but that uh, most masks out there, particularly three ply masks, that are the common type of surgical mask, not the N95 mask, they uh, are able to block it. Um, now, when we come back, I, we got to talk about teachers. We, we've got to talk about uh, teachers unions. We got to talk about uh, their their engagement. You know, so teachers unions around the country now they don't want school to start back. But there's a catch that they also don't want online learning to happen. My silence was intentional. Yeah, let's 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 talk about this again. Teachers unions don't want classroom work to happen. And they also don't want online learning to happen. Yes. Yes. Remember, it's it's. They say that it's the police unions that are bad. Uh, the the left, which loves unions, hates police unions, and yet it's the teachers' unions that are destroying the American mind. And we should discuss that. And I, I started talking about the Georgia polling, and then I got distracted. I'm sorry, the Herman Cain news. Just it, it's sad. Uh, please pray for his family. Uh, if you're just tuning in, Herman Cain has died of the coronavirus, uh, 74. Um, that, that is distracting. Uh, I want to talk about the, the Georgia polling when we come back in, in teachers. And, and John MacArthur, going back to church, we want to talk about that in the Good Samaritan as well at the bottom of the hour when we come back right here on the Eric Erickson Show. We'll take your phone calls as well, 877-973-7425. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. The Eric Erickson Show. The fun phone number 877-97-ERIC. 877-973-7425. Uh, thank you for joining me this morning. Uh, sad news here at 11 o'clock, if you have not heard. Uh, Herman Cain has died of COVID-19. He was 74 years old. Uh, has been in the hospital since July 1st. Uh, initially was treated at home with oxygen, uh, wound up hospitalized, and uh, has passed away. And uh, prayers for him and his family. It is very much, I think, worth me noting that uh, I would not be doing what I'm doing but for Herman Cain. Uh, Herman Cain left to run for president, and uh, they needed someone to take his show on WSB in Atlanta, in 2011 and they asked me to do it and I started off nine to midnight uh, while Herman was still there for a month and then he left and I think they started putting me seven to ten uh, and within a year or so was in drive time and have never left drive time uh, and would not have done it but for his ambition to run for president where at one point he was the front runner for the Republican nomination in 2012 uh, prayers for him and his family I'm abandoning the live stream of my program today in large part because the, the internet is just not a stable device today. It's, it's not good. Uh, and I'm, I'm largely just given up on trying to, uh, find a stable connection for it. it. It's what we're dealing with today. Uh, and I'm a little bit distracted by the Herman K news. And l- let me, l- let me set this a little bit, uh, larger for you. In context, uh, so I was a lawyer in Macon. I've, I tell the story all the time. Some of you have heard it. Some of you haven't. We keep getting new stations. But I was a lawyer in Macon. 
or for a law firm selling Melton for a number of years. Uh, and uh, one of the lawyers at the firm came into my office one day and, and asked if I knew what the definition of a dumb, well, I'll say rear end. Uh, that That's not the way he put it, is. Do you know what the definition of dumb rear end is? I said, no. And he said, you, uh, you, you don't like practicing law. You love politics. You, you need to go do politics. And I, I took that to some degree as, as permission to, to go explore the field. I helped start Red State, was doing TV commentary and the like, and decided to leave. I took a job in Washington for a year, flew back and forth. It was exhausting, grueling, tiring, and then wound up getting a job with CNN after Red State took off. And while I was there, uh, the local guy on the, on the local talk station down in Macon got arrested in a crack house. And I didn't know at the time, but they needed someone to fill in for him. And he wound up losing his job. And, and my day turned into a week, turned into three months. I got paid in an expired gift certificate to Outback Steakhouse. And the only reason I know that is because I took my wife on a date and the, the gift certificate did not work. Um, but uh, while, while I was there, Herman decided to run for president. I'd actually done the resurgent gathering in Austin, Texas in 2010 and Herman asked if he could come and stood on stage and uh, announced that he was thinking of running for president. So I kind of knew. And then in October of, of 2010, well, Labor Day weekend of 2010, I took my family to Callaway Gardens. And a guy I did not know named Greg Mosheri called me, said he was calling on behalf of WSB. And was I interested in doing a weekend show on WSB? And I said, absolutely not. And he called back and later and said, well, I realize we realize you don't want a weekend show on WSB, but would you mind filling in being a guest host for Herman Cain? And I said, sure, I'd do that. So I went up to Atlanta one night that October and I filled in for Herman Cain and the suits came in at the end of the show and, and said, listen, we, we actually don't want you to do a weekend show. Herman's going to run for president. Uh, would you be interested in uh, taking Herman's job. And I was nodding yes while saying I would have to talk to my wife. <laughs> so I did. Herman ran for president. I took the Herman Cain show. It became the Eric Erickson show. It's, it's now Atlanta's Evening News. I've been in drive time since 2012. Uh, I, I'm the only person WSB, to my knowledge, has ever hired for a five-not-a-week job who had no experience in radio. They actually thought... Uh, that the show in Macon was mine and that I had radio experience. They had no idea I was just filling in because the guy got arrested. And I've been on radio ever since. God has a plan. Y'all, God has a plan. God has a plan. Uh, and I I just, I, I need you guys to to know he does. And and we don't understand it sometimes. And and here I am now on radio. And now I've got a, I, I do five hours a day, three hours in the morning and two hours in the evening. My two-hour show is still on WSB in Atlanta. My three hours is with you guys. And I, um, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm glad to do it. But I, I hate that it is in relation now that I'm bringing this up because Herman Cain has passed away. Um, I, I, and I, I want to talk about one more difficult topic before I move on here. And it, it, this is, this is, this is really, um, it, it, the Herman Cain stuff just, um, it kind of overwhelmed me with the, um, 
with the, the news and I was already overwhelmed because of the thing that I want to talk to you about. And it always overwhelms me. And, and I, I, I want to get to the John MacArthur stuff. I really do. If I get to nothing else today, I want to get to the John MacArthur stuff and the, and the Good Samaritan stuff because uh, I got some thoughts on those. Uh, but but here here's we do with my evening show a fundraiser every year. It's part of my radio station in Atlanta, WSB. We raise money for to fight childhood cancer. Uh, that one of the best research institutions in the Southeast United States combating uh, blood disorders and childhood cancers is the Aflac uh, Children's Cancer and Blood Disorder Center in Atlanta. Uh, it is with Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. It is the the Children's Cancer Center, and we raise money for them. And it is every every one every every. Uh, race out there every campaign. Uh, I'm I'm sorry. I'm 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 getting discombobulated and distracted with all the Herman Cain news. Uh, every single person, wherever you are in the state, you can take advantage of this cancer center in Atlanta. You can your children or the children of your neighbors can potentially take advantage of this place, and they serve everyone in the southeast and beyond. They are an impressive, uh, deeply impressive. Camp uh, Institute for Cancer. And I genuinely like the people who are there. I genuinely think they do a good job. And they are highly innovative in not just their research to fight childhood cancer, but also what they do for the parents of kids who are there and what they do for the kids who are there. And I need to just ask if you'll support them because right now we're in a global pandemic and we're not able to do massive fundraising for them. And a lot of people, frankly, have less money than they had. And so I'm just asking people if they can step up to do it. And, and I want to make it, it tangible for you. Uh, every year I allow people to come drink from my bourbon collection, which is huge. It is massive. It is several hundred bottles. And I select uh, some prime bottles to take to Atlanta, uh, provide barbecue. And for a $500 donation, you can call the number I'm about to give you and you can donate and, and say you want to be part of Bourbon and Butts. It is for a good, worthy cause to fight childhood cancer and provide comfort for families whose children are in treatment at uh, Children's Healthcare of Atlanta at the Children's Cancer Center. And so all you got to do is if you donate $500 or more, say you want it to be part of Bourbon and Butts, and the date's not yet set because of the virus, uh, but I'll have everybody there and uh, we'll get together and have barbecue and you can drink my bourbon. Um, it, it's a wonderful collection and I got some great bottles, but please help fight childhood cancer. The phone number, if you want to do that is 888-750-2772, to make a donation to fight childhood cancer. You can say you want to donate for bourbon and butts if you want, uh, and, and help them. Now I want to get to phone calls. People have been waiting patiently. I want to go first. I suspect I know who this is calling from Noonan. Uh, Brant, welcome. How are you? I'm great. How are you today, sir? Great. Well, I wanted to uh, get your thoughts on the uh, some of the lesser-known elections around the states. And uh, this, here in Georgia, we got that state house runoff up in District 10 in North Georgia. Pretty interesting. And just wanted to get your thoughts on that and the, the Crumley-Anderson race and and obviously, it goes without saying we're all mourning the passing of Herman Cain. He was a great guy. You know, Thank okay. You, uh, now, remind me of the candidates in the 10th. Uh, yes, that's uh, up here. We got uh, Robert Crumley, who's running 
uh, in, for State House and uh, Victor Anderson. And Anderson is supported by the incumbent who's retiring, as well as several powerful committee chairmen allied to David Ralston. And Crumley's running as the anti-establishment outsider. He's supported by folks like Matt Gertler and the Georgia Republican Assembly and folks like that. You know, so um, Crumley is, uh, for those who don't know now, I, I'm, I'm trying to picture on my map uh, District 10 up in up in North Georgia. It's Terry Rogers is the incumbent. And, I mean, yes, if sir. people can get out and turn out for Robert Crumley up there, uh, it, it's going to make a difference. You know, I haven't honestly, the, the runoff is August 11th, and I haven't, I've been so distracted by everything happening in Washington, I haven't engaged as, as much as I should. Um, but you're right, there is a, a real difference between the candidates, and in particular, in this race, there's a clear distinction between the outside, the, the outsider and the insider. This is going to be a Republican district. Who, whoever wins this is going to get elected. And we got a chance to move the House of Representatives in the state further to the right. Uh, and, and Crumley is certainly, I, I need to be more forceful in an endorsement out there of the guy uh, and actually get out there. It, it, this is one of those things where if I can knock on doors and stuff, I, I would, but I can't. Brant, thanks very much for the phone call on this. Uh, it, it is a race that needs to be highlighted. And there are a number of runoff races around the state that need to be highlighted, uh, th this being one of the big ones. Uh, you've got a number of others, though, where you can make a real difference impacting these races, and I want you to, you know, Stacy Hall is another one up in Habersham County. Uh, he's running for the state Senate. He is a profoundly good dude, and and he needs to get elected to the state Senate uh, in this runoff. Uh, there are a number of great people out there who are still running, and honestly, and my apologies to you guys, as much as I try, pay, try to pay attention to these races, I've just been so overwhelmed with all the other stuff going on, I just haven't had time to pay attention uh, and, and Brant, thank you very much for your phone call on this because it is a reminder to me that I've got to do a better job of focusing on these races as well. Elections still go on and it's not just the federal stuff. There's also, of course, the Gertler race. Uh, and listen, I, I don't want to say a, a bad word about Matt Gertler's opponent. Um, Clyde, he runs Clyde Armory. He's a good conservative guy, but here's why I'm backing Matt Gertler. I'm backing Matt Gertler because he has a record. I'm backing Matt Gertler because time and again, I see people who say I'm a conservative and they go to Congress and they get comfortable with leadership and they wind up not fighting for conservative values in the way you or I would. And I don't know anything about uh, the, the, the Clyde Armory guy other than I, I love his stores. And I hear he's a great guy, but but I know that Matt Gertler has a record of defying leadership in the House of Representatives in Georgia. He's willing to tell his own side no. I, I value Republicans who can stand up to their own side. I value Republicans who are willing to tell their own side uh, that they're doing the wrong thing. We don't have enough people like that, and we need more people like that. And I know that Matt Gertler is one of those people. And that's why, by the way, in this race and in, in House District 10, why I think you should go with Robert Crumley over Victor Anderson is because Victor Anderson is is being supported by the leadership that wants yes men in the House of Representatives. And I don't think we can afford to have yes men in the Georgia House of Representatives right now, given some of the things we've seen the Republicans do. Look how close they came to passing casinos, among other things. Uh, I, I I genuinely think that you've got to have people like Robert Crumley in the state house 
who are willing to stand up to their own side. I, I really believe you got to have people like Stacey Hall in the state Senate who are willing to stand up to their own side. Republicans are not infallible just because they're against Democrats. They make mistakes too. And you got to have people who are really committed to limited government to be able to get in there, stand up and say, this is wrong. Don't do this. And too many Republicans just want to be yes men to leadership. And and that's why I like Matt Gertler. He's proven he's not willing to be a yes man. And he's got a record to prove it, not just saying it. He's got a record. Uh, and, and same with Robert Crumley as well uh, for the state house. And, and same with Stacey Hall for the state Senate. Um, so please remember, there is still an election. It is August 11th, this runoff. And, and people need to stand up and be heard and be vocal and get out and go vote still. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. By the way, I get asked by candidates all the time if they can come on the program, if I support them, and I tell them all no, and here's why. Uh, I, I, I use this microphone to help people I support and think are good, uh, but I don't want to uh, abuse the, the privilege of having a radio show and allow these guys on when uh, a lot of stations really believe in equal time rules that if you put on candidate X, you got to put on their opponent candidate Y. And, and while I am technically considered a news program and I don't have to do that, I just don't think it's right. Uh, I have on Kelly Leffler. By the way, I got hate mail from someone. Because of what I said yesterday about, y'all, listen, we're going to have to agree to disagree on this. This, this is the sort of stuff that makes me mad. Uh, this, is the, this is the stuff, it, it genuinely, listen, it, it even makes my voice go up a few octaves. And I, I'm not going to say the person, and I know they're listening. I have a morning newsletter. And it is subscriber. It's seven bucks a month or $70 a year. And the number of times people email me and say, you said X and it made me mad. I'm not going to subscribe anymore. Well, go cancel your subscription. I really don't give a flip. And I said, flip. I'm, I'm, you're not going to convince me to change my opinion by telling me that you uh, are a subscriber and that I am financially dependent on you because I'm not. And I resent like hell the implication from people that I'm not going to support you unless you tell me exactly what you want to hear. I'm not here to tell you people exactly what you want to hear. If you pay attention to, to what's happening in talk radio today, with the exception of the established big guys in national radio, there are a bunch of little leg humpers out there who just want to tell you exactly what they think you want to hear. They're not even their own person anymore. They've been hijacked by you and their thoughts. It's like Eric Metaxas the other day from the Salem Radio Network guy, used to be a brilliant theologian and scholar who now wants everybody to know Jesus. Jesus is white because that's what he thinks his audience wants to hear. And it's a bunch of nonsense. Jesus was from the Middle East. And, and you've got these up and coming people in talk radio is like, oh, I'm just going to throw out red meat to the crowd. I'm going to throw chum in the water and, 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 and fire everybody up with nonsense that I don't really believe. And I'm privately going to mock the audience behind the scenes because I don't believe it. But it's what I think they want to hear. So I'm going to tell them and it ultimately gets them in trouble. Be your own person. And I really don't give a rat's behind if you get offended with what I say and decide you got to cancel your, your subscription to my newsletter. You and I aren't going to agree all the time. I'm going to tell you stuff you don't want to hear and and we should be mature and recognize that sometimes you can disagree i i don't rush limbaugh is a friend i would not be in talk radio except for rush limbaugh he's the one who pushed me to do the job to take the job when they offered it to me 
He's been a friend and mentor. We don't agree all the time. But I love the guy, and I listen to him all the time. He is in my prayers constantly right now. And I just, it, it baffles me. So yesterday I said, you know, I believe the governor has the right to choose the senator under our Constitution. And he chose Kelly Loeffler, and I like and respect the governor, and I give the governor the benefit of the doubt. And as much as I dearly adore Doug Collins, and I do, I'm going to go with Kelly Loeffler because I support the governor's right to make the pick. And she now, I think, has earned the right to prove herself. And I got an email from someone that I may just have to cancel my subscription to you because I think there was shady dealing. There must have been money or something. And I can't believe you'd say you'd like Doug Collins, but you're not going to support him. You're going to support her when it was a crooked deal. I, I, you have no evidence that it was other than, than your suspicion. Cancel your subscription. I really don't care. I support the governor's right to make the pick, and I think she has the right to prove herself. And I told Doug Collins that he and I have a great relationship. If Doug Collins wants on this program, Doug Collins can come on this program every single day between now and the election, and I will let him come on as long as he's not on to attack Kelly Leffler. And same with Kelly Leffler. If she wants to come on every single day between now and the election, I'll let her as long as she's not attacking Doug Collins because I like them both, and I'm not going to allow either one to disparage the other because they're both good people, and I know they got to do it for a campaign but they're not going to do it on my air. And if you don't like it, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to be held hostage to anybody. I'm not going to tell you what I think you want to hear. I'm going to tell you what I'm interested in. I'm going to tell you what I, I think. Uh, you're here for, for me to give you an analysis of the news and tell you what I think. Uh, you're not here for me to just echo what you already think in your head. There's no point in you even listening to just for affirmation of your views. Sometimes you agree with me, sometimes you don't. And I've got an open line where you can call in when you disagree. That's the deal. When we come back, something most of you will agree with, John MacArthur has opened his church doors and he's getting a sale for doing so. We should discuss why he's right in doing what he did. Hello, 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 hello. It is Eric Erickson here. I I, I want to play for you. Where is it? Um, uh. <sighs> Maybe I didn't get it. I thought I did. Um, did I? Did I? Sorry. I guess I didn't. John MacArthur was on with, yes, uh, John. I do have it. John MacArthur went on Tucker Carlson's show. He's reopened his church in California. There are a couple of things I, I want to say about this. First of all, let, let me play uh, John MacArthur and his conversation with Tucker Carlson, part of it. John MacArthur runs that church and has for a long time. We're happy to have him on tonight. Pastor, thanks so much for coming on. Give us a quick overview of why you think you should reopen given the coronavirus. Well, first of all and foremost, it's a First Amendment right. This is the United States yes. of America, and, and the government can't intrude in worship. We stand on that amendment. Um, the, the second thing that makes this so sensible is in the state of California, there are 40 million people. 8,500 of them have died with COVID. That's 0.002. So in California, you have a 99.99% chance to survive COVID. So why would you shut down the entire state? And particularly when people are frightened and sometimes terrified that they're going to die, shut down the church where most of the intense relationships in our society exist in the life yes. of a church. It's multi-generational. We've had 21 weeks with no ministry to a thousand little children, to a thousand university students, to junior high students, high school students, senior adults. We've had no funerals, no weddings. 
I can't go to the hospital. I've had to go on the phone to talk to dying people at the hospital. Uh. And finally, I started preaching in an empty auditorium. I did it two weeks, three weeks, and the people, without us saying anything, started coming back. They didn't buy the narrative. They didn't buy it, and they started coming back. By the way, we're the original protesters. We go back 500 years to the Protestant Reformation. We're, we're still protesting lies and deception for the sake of the truth. So they started coming back, and they kept coming back, and last Sunday, 3,000 of them came back, and they rejoiced, and they hugged each other, and they didn't wear masks, and they sang songs, and um, they understand the reality of it. I haven't had to say anything. We finally put out a document, which you probably read, which affirms why this is right and why it's critical yep. for our society. You know, they closed down, and, and this gets missed in the anger and hysteria. Uh, they they closed down when the governor of California initially asked churches to, and they complied. Uh, but when California reopened and churches were allowed to reopen, and then the California government started saying, okay, this business can and this business can't, very much like in Las Vegas, uh, where I think the Supreme Court got it wrong by telling that church they had to close, that the, the, the casinos can be open and that they can have capacity set based on space, but churches can't. No matter if the church can house 10,000 people, they're only allowed to have 50 in. And I, I'm not going to criticize MacArthur. He is the shepherd of a flock. I would not go to church in his church right now. I just wouldn't. Um, people aren't wearing masks. They they packed in a thousand people last Sunday. Or actually I think it was it was more than three thousand people last Sunday. Um, and I wouldn't do I'm not comfortable doing that right now, but you may be. And if you're gonna send mixed messages to churches about what you can and cannot do, um, I, I don't blame him for being pastor of the flock. And obviously a lot of pastors come out and say, well I, I wouldn't do it and, and this is what I would do and this is why you're not the, you're not the shepherd of that flock. You're not the pastor of that church. Each church has unique needs, and I don't think it's the business of one pastor to tell another pastor how they should conduct their business outside of sound theology and orthodoxy. Uh, my church meets on the street right now, and I am way more comfortable in that setting than what MacArthur is doing in, in a closed environment. Um, there are a lot of people who don't take this seriously. And I want to talk about that for just a moment. This is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? The expert answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But the expert wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, 
and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of the robbers? And the expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Some of this, a modern audience may not get the proper context of. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho was called the road of blood because it was such a treacherous road to go down. There were robbers and murderers along the way. It was very dangerous for people to go. The Samaritan went, and the Samaritan is from Samaria. He wasn't even from the area. Jerusalem to Jericho is out of the way from Samaria. Samaria was a persecuted group uh, in Judea at the time. You will recall that the Samarians were the northern Israel uh, tribes of the Israelites. When they broke off after Solomon, uh, the northern kingdom was Israel. The southern kingdom was Judah. Uh, the northern kingdom of Israel uh, was in the area of Samaria, and, and over time they became the Samaritans. Uh, they had a, a embraced pagan worship, many of them. Uh, When the kingdom split, the kings of Israel decided if the people of Israel keep going down to the temple to worship God, uh, they're going to realize uh, what this is all about and that we're a fraud and they've got to reunite with Judah. And so they essentially told people, they concocted a conspiracy and they said, hey, you remember that the golden calf that Aaron made and the reaction to Aaron and the golden calf? Well, that was actually the true religion and it's been a conspiracy. We've We've subverted the real truth of religion, and it's actually we're supposed to be worshiping the golden calves. We're not supposed to be going to the temple in Jerusalem. So they set up the golden calves and said, this is real religion. And people went to Bethel, and, and they went to the the other locations where they had Gilgun and a few of the others where they had set up the golden calves for people to worship. And ultimately, the northern kingdom descended into paganism and ultimately was destroyed before the southern kingdom of, of Judah was. And that northern kingdom area became known as Samaria, and and the Judeans treated the Samarians very poorly. They were persecuted. They were gross. They were contemptible. They weren't part. They had rejected God. They were no longer, even though they were um, Jewish, they were no longer part of it. And, and, and so here comes a Levite and a priest, both of whom are in the tribe. They are both children of David. They are sons of God. And here's a man lying in the ditch set upon by robbers and they pass through, they don't even take care of their fellow member, of a fellow son of God, they, they walk past. The Samarian, Samaritan who is persecuted and has been abused and is treated like garbage by Judeans, he actually is traveling this road. He has some money. He's not afraid to travel the road. And he sees the man in the ditch and he binds up his wounds and he takes care of him at great inconvenience to himself. He takes him to an inn. He pays for him to stay, to recover, and comes back to check on him at his expense. The outcast man who would be put upon is the man who who takes care of the person who actually was put upon. It's a remarkable story when you're able to get into that depth of it. And so now let me address you guys in relation to that. There are a lot of people who believe the virus is no big deal. They they are put off, put out, inconvenienced. They don't want to be inconvenienced. They don't want to wear masks. 
master, no big deal. You had Louis Gohmert say maybe he got his virus from wearing his mask. Herman Cain has died of the virus. Is that not an indication that there are vulnerable populations? And I do think that uh, there are people who recognize they think the virus, they're not going to get it, or if they get it, it'll be a mild case, or most people are asymptomatic. But there actually are vulnerable populations that I think everyone agrees, the elderly, the medically fragile, who could get the virus and die. Jesus tells the expert in the law to be a good neighbor. And who is your neighbor? And in this case, Jesus paints a broad picture. Your neighbor is everyone around you. The Samaritan lived nowhere near the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, but he was passing that way and encountered a man in the ditch and treated him as if he was his neighbor. He didn't know the man from Adam. And and I, I raise that issue because we're having the grand debate now about going back to school. And should we go back to school? How do we go back to school? What do we do for school? I want to send my kids back to school. We have a medically fragile household. My wife has lung cancer. I have clots in my lungs. We're both considered medically fragile with this virus. I have to do all the grocery shopping in the house because my wife is more medically fragile than me. The kids are too young to drive, so... I'm the one having to go to the grocery store and run the errands. Uh, During the pandemic, when there were shortages in grocery stores, I was having to spend five hours a day going from Publix to multiple Kroger's to a different Publix up to Forsyth to go to Ingalls just to find all the stuff on on the shopping list. Sometimes you couldn't find toilet paper. Sometimes milk was out. Sometimes you needed peanut butter or ketchup and random things that were out. And I was being laughed at by people wearing masks in grocery stores, and now everyone is wearing a mask. And you don't have to consider, you're entitled to your beliefs as to whether or not the virus is serious or not. You can read a website and and say it's no big deal. Many of you know of stories of people who tested positive for the virus and they never had the test. And so the virus is clearly overstated. My, My point on the Good Samaritan, though, is that the Good Samaritan, he didn't have to take care of the man in the ditch. But he did anyway. He inconvenienced himself for the sake of his neighbor. Our kids are going to go back to school. And there are going to be people in the school who think the virus is no big deal. And they're not going to do the things that they need to do to avoid getting the virus. They're not going to socially distance. They're not going to wear masks. They're not washing their hands regularly because they think it's no big deal. It's a, a conspiracy to get the president or or what have you. And they're not going to do what they need to do because they think it's no big deal. And they're entitled to do that. But what if their kid does get it? Because we know with this virus, you're most contagious before you have symptoms. So their kid goes to school and gets another child infected at the school, and and let's say high school kids, because we know they definitely get it. There's no dispute there. And so the high school kid who got it because their family doesn't take this seriously spreads it then to a a high school kid who has medically fragile members of their, their family, and they take it home and wind up giving it to their grandparent or their parent who may die. Just ignore the psychological toll then on the kid who gets their parent or grandparent sick and they die, uh, and, and then they spend the rest of their life blaming themselves. Can we not all recognize that sometimes we have to, even when we think something's no big deal, we inconvenience ourselves 
out of respect for our neighbors. We all want our kids to be able to, I want my kids to go back to school and I don't know that I can send my kids back to school because I know in our school there are families who don't take the virus seriously and they're not prepared to inconvenience themselves for my wife's well-being and my well-being. They're, they're not prepared to inconvenience themselves or disrupt their lives to prevent their kids and themselves from getting the virus that then spreads to the medically fragile. No one disputes the medically fragile are real and and that, that they, they are impacted by the virus. And so they will say, well, you know what? Inconvenience yourself. Keep your kids home. Okay, I keep my kids home, but I still have to go grocery shopping. You're not going to go grocery shopping for me either because you don't want to be inconvenienced in that regard either. So I got to go grocery shopping. So I, I, I still could be impacted in some way and carry the virus into my house. And you can say, well, that's on me, I, I guess. But, you know, if you also were willing to slightly inconvenience yourself to love your neighbors, we would all be better off. There are way too many people in society right now who want to be the priest or the Levite and not the Good Samaritan. They want to just cross to the other side of the street and say, you know what, that, that's on you. That's you. You shelter in place. You stay home. Don't. I'm not going to be inconvenienced. I'm not going to be held up because of you. I'm not going to wear a mask or wash my hands or, or treat it as serious because I don't believe it is. And I don't care that you do because I read stuff and watch TV shows that tell me it's not a big deal. I don't care about you and your situation. You, that's on you. There's a lot of that out there, and and none of us are going to be able to send our kids back to school because of it, because uh, there are medically fragile people who we all know are going to be impacted, and we got a lot of people out there who say, well, it's not on me. It's on your responsibility to take precautions, but I can't take the precautions that I need to take when I am wearing the mask and washing my hands and doing the grocery shopping so my wife doesn't have to get out in public uh, and, and I can't send my kids to school because there are people in the school who may spread the virus because they don't take it seriously. They think they're not going to get it and they may get it and may be asymptomatic and then my kid brings it home and my wife is in the ICU or worse or me or someone else's grandparent. And all you've got to do is be the good Samaritan and not the priest or Levite. All you've got to do is be the good Samaritan who will inconvenience himself when he doesn't have to just to be a good neighbor to everyone else. At this point, it's it's not about whether you think the virus is real or not. It, it, it's recognized that a lot of people do. But even if, if, if you don't even want to recognize that, at least recognize that there are people who will get it who will die. And if we are to love our neighbor, we should all be precautious in ways that help us love our neighbors and protect our neighbors from getting the virus. And that requires stepping up when it comes to getting our kids back to school and doing what we need to do to get our society back up and running. And if all you can do as a minor inconvenience is wear a mask, even if you don't believe it's going to work, just to put other people at ease right now, you're willing to inconvenience yourself to put other people at ease. Is it not worth doing to love your neighbor? Or are you just going to cross to the side of the road and say, you do you, I'll do me, and you get in the ditch and you can figure out a way out of it yourself? I would submit to you we should all be focused on the good Samaritan who was willing to inconvenience himself for someone else even when he didn't have to. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here. Um, I, I We've been so tied up with, with breaking news. I've been bad about sponsors, and, and I need to give shout-outs to several of them um, and, and also remind you about 
Children's uh, Cancer Center in Atlanta. If you'd like to donate, the phone number is 888-750-2772. First, I I, got to recognize True Precision. Uh, True-Precision.com is their website. Uh, I have a a, a Glock 43X. In fact, I, I got it right behind me. Um, it is my concealed carry. They, they were concerned. They listened to my show and they were concerned. Cause I mentioned, I didn't have a gun. I felt comfortable with concealed carry. I've got a clock 19. I've got an HK. I've got a CZ, but I didn't have something that, uh, I, you know, I'm a sizable guy. I I'm fat. I got to work on it. Um, didn't have something I was comfortable carrying as concealed. And, and so they reached out and said, Hey, let's put together a Glock 43 X for you. And, and so I worked with them and got a slide and, and, and different barrel and, and we got to upgrade the trigger still. They didn't have many at the time, but sights and grip. And the thing is a work of art. Every time I go to a gun range, people are like, Whoa, where'd you get that? I got it at true precision and you can upgrade your gun as well. You go to true dash precision.com and they've got slides, barrels. You can order them online for your gun and they'll ship them to you. If you use Eric, E-R-I-C-K, at checkout, uh, you can get 10% off. Uh, and it really, really, really is worth it. Um, man, the, the, my gun is beautiful. It is my favorite gun that I own, and I own a lot of guns. Uh, and and I use it as much as I can. It's just great, and thanks to them. Uh, the other thing you need to know is that the, the Senate is prepared to extend PPP. It looks like they're going to fund more of it. They're having a debate now whether to continue to expand it to companies that may have decided they now need it or just extend it to existing companies already in the program. By the way, did y'all hear about the guy who bought a Lamborghini with his PPP money? Hero! Yeah, He's going to jail now, but I mean, that you just got to admire the, the chutzpah of the guy to to use his PPP to get, get a, a Lamborghini. <laughs> um, nonetheless... If you need into the PPP, uh, you should reach out to my friends at uh, First Liberty Building Alone. In fact, uh, Brant, who called earlier, that is uh, Brant Frost uh, the fifth. Uh, Brant Frost the fourth is the dad who runs First Liberty Building Alone. They are active in the Republican Party. They are great Christian conservatives. They've been doing this since 1993. And uh, they help small businesses become big businesses, and they want to help you if you need access to PPP. They want to help you if you need capital, if you need a loan for your business. Uh, their website is firstlibertyga.com, firstlibertyga.com. They are really good uh, Christian conservatives who really love to help small business. They, rec- they recognize that the backbone of American industry is the small business, and they want to help you if, if, you, if they can. You go to firstlibertyga.com. They can help you get into PPP, uh, and they can help get your get you access to to credit and capital if you need it for other things. Uh, I can't thank them enough. I, I couldn't do the show without them. And, of course, Chris Burns and Dynamic Money, uh, they are my financial advisor. They were the first advertiser to step up and commit to this program. Uh, dynamicmoney.com is their website if you need someone to help you with 401K. Uh, thank you to all of them, and thank you all to you all for donating to Children's Healthcare of Atlanta to fight childhood cancer. I really appreciate it. Please keep Herman Cain's family in your prayers. Now that's a parking spot. Introducing the I may have underestimated the size of my car policy with accident forgiveness from American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote. Find an agent. Visit AmFam.com. Optional policy features not included in base policies. Review policy for coverages and exclusions. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, SI, and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Now that's a parking spot. 
Introducing the I may have underestimated the size of my car policy with accident forgiveness from American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote. Find an agent. Visit AmFam.com. Optional policy features not included in base policies. Review policy for coverages and exclusions. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.